We're going to begin with the keynote address for our conference. Governor Bill Richardson has led a distinguished public service career for over 30 years as a U.S. Congressman, U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations, and Secretary of Energy, before going on to become Governor of New Mexico. Since then, Richardson has also started two foundations, the Richardson Center for Global Engagement, focusing on conflict resolution and prisoner release, and the Foundation to Preserve New Mexico Wildlife along actor, uh, alongside actor and cons conservationist Robert Redford. As a diplomat and special envoy, Richardson has received four Nobel Peace Prize nominations and has successfully won the release of hostages and American servicemen in North Korea, Cuba, Iraq, and in, in the Sudan. As the 30th governor of New Mexico from 2003 to 2011, he spearheaded reforms in energy, transportation, healthcare, environmental protection, and of course, immigration. His vast experience as a governor of, of a border state and decades serving as a global ambassador make him uniquely qualified to speak on both the challenges and the benefits of immigration, how the immigration after 1965 has impacted our country and where it may be time to update our immigration policies for a new century. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome Governor Bill Richardson. Thank you, Alex. That was a very overly generous introduction. I noticed Alex didn't mention my very brief presidential run, <laughs> two primaries, uh, and, and I know that Governor Gilmore, I heard his speech, I'm not running for anything. I'm a private citizen, but I'm delighted to be here at uh, the Cato Institute. I was here right after I was elected governor in New Mexico when, as a Democrat, listen to this, I cut income taxes and capital gains. And so Cato invited me. They haven't invited me ever since. But uh, I remember being here and talking about, we, at the time we were trying to generate some uh, economic activity for New Mexico. I also uh, want to say that uh, I'm delighted uh, with the tenor and the importance of this debate at this time. And I thank Cato for hosting. Uh, I know they've left, but I, I, the one reason I love Ruben Navarrete is that he gives grief to everybody, especially me, Republicans, Democrats. And, and I think he does this with an intellectual twist that I think is very, very, very healthy. The only thing that worried me is I kind of started to agree with too much of what Grover Norquist was saying. <laughs> but still, um, I appreciate this debate, and, and, and Alex, thank you for hosting it. You know, I think one of the things on immigration that is really needed, and by the way, we also have a very distinguished guest, uh, Ambassador John Beale of Barbados is here. Uh, Barbados is a great country. You want to know how to handle immigration, tourism, go to Barbados. They've, they've got all the good answers. But what I wanted to simply say to you is, I, I'm not here in Washington anymore. I live in Santa Fe, New Mexico. I, I spend part of the summer in, in Cape Cod. Um, you know, I'm a private citizen. I try to earn a living. And, and, and I, so I'm not like you. I'm not going to call you beltway types, but you are here. So I don't hear all this buzz all the time. So hearing what I do uh, brings me into perspective on this immigration issue. And I've been on this issue for a long time. In other words, I'm an old man. <laughs> and so I voted for the 86 Act, the Simpson-Mazzoli Act. I worked on it. And you know, and at the time, uh, 
three million individuals were legalized. They called it an amnesty. And you know who signed that bill? Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan signed it. Alan Simpson, Republican, Romano Mazzoli, a Democrat. You know, in those days, bipartisanship existed. And the only way you're going to get an immigration bill is if Republicans and Democrats get together. It doesn't look very good. And I will also say this, although I, I do think we, the Democrats, have a better record on immigration, I will, you know, I'll, my little partisan streak will come out. But I will say to you, the best immigration bill that I've seen was when I was governor of New Mexico and I got briefed by the White House, it was by George W. Bush. And I, Noe Garcia used to be in the Bush, and he's here. Um, I think that was the best bill, the one that had border security, a legalization with conditions, um, H-1B visas. And I, my main message, although I'm going to do a little history on the Immigration Act, is going to be about the H-1B issue, because I think that's really important. And it get, kind of gets sidetracked when you're talking about immigration. And I'm going to show you this. Uh, I don't know if you can see it, but it's basically the Canadian citizenship minister saying, H-1B problem, pivot to Canada. New startup visa, low taxes. There it is. In other words, he's, you know where he is? He's in Silicon Valley. He's telling all those thousands of talented individuals that can't get H-1B visas or are applying for it to come to Canada. We'll take them. And that's against American jobs and competitiveness. And one of my main messages, too, is that immigration reform, a sound immigration bill, is good for our economy. It's good for jobs. It's good for productivity. Uh, it's good for a, a number of besides the solid reasons that we're a nation of immigrants. Now, I was here last week. The Pope. Uh, I got invited to some nice events with the Pope. And one of the things that he said that I, I'm just going to read again because I think it's at the heart of what we're talking about. And I'm going to give a little historical perspective. The 65 Immigration Act. We're going to go into some of the Sinsa Mazzoli issues. And I know you guys are experts on the uh, on the current immigration debate and who's at fault and why nothing is happening. But I'm going to talk a little bit about some of those issues. Here's what the Pope said. Thousands of persons are led in search of a better life for themselves and for their loved ones in search of greater opportunities. Is this not what we want of our own children? We must not be taken back by their numbers, but view them rather as persons, seeing their faces, listening to their stories, trying to respond as we best can to their situation. Myself, the son of foreign-born parents, I was really struck by the compassion and hope in his voice. I, I was optimistic. I was happy. I went to that mass at Catholic University with 700,000 other people. I mean, being an ex-governor with security, I mean, I, I had to go through everything like everyone else did. But still, it was worth it because I... I saw in this man, and I try to do a lot on conflict resolution, maybe somebody that can bring people together. You know, he's done that in the U.S. and Cuba. He's doing that with the Colombian rebels in Latin America. Many other issues, climate change that I hope he is engaged in. 
But I was struck by that compassion and hope in his voice as he uttered these words. And, and, and I'm reminded of my mother's voice as she will my birth in America reality. I mean, she, I was brought into the United States just to be born an American. That was the sole purpose of a trip to California and Pasadena. I mentioned that I worked on the Simpson-Mazzoli Act. And what the Pope was basically saying is his message in defense of immigrants is clear. But what the Pope didn't mention and could not know is the tremendous value that these immigrants have on the American economy. You know, engraved at the base of the Statue of Liberty, we, we've all heard these words. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. The American dream was born of opportunity where other countries could not provide a chance for self-betterment. But America did. America took the drive to work and made it a reality equipping those who wanted it, the means for a better tomorrow. Now, today let's look at what we have come and let us acknowledge where we're going. And we're not exactly doing too well. You know, immigration is one of the most important issues we face as a country. And how we address that issue will have bearing for years, even decades to come. And I noticed in this debate, you notice what the debate is now because of Donald Trump, who I think has had a, a hideous effect on the immigration issue. This is where the debate is. It used to be, all right, do we have border security first and then legalization? I think the best approach was the Bush-Obama approach, have them both simultaneously with strong conditions. Today, the debate is because of the media coverage, and it's mainly in the Republican primaries, do we deport 11 million or not? It's a deportation debate. I mean, it's destructive. It's not going to happen. It's impractical. But that's where I think American mindset, and you can see the polls for immigration reform declining because of the tenor of this press debate. So, you know, we celebrate this land of opportunity with a reflection on her achievements, but also a recognition of our own shortcomings. 1965. The 1965 Act modernized U.S. immigration policy, making a radical break from the past. This bill abolished the national origins quota system that was the American immigration policy since the 1920s. John F. Kennedy, who, who really is not given enough credit on immigration, referred to this quota system as, quote, nearly intolerable, and wanted the United States to get rid of this outdated policy. At the height of the U.S. Civil Rights Movement, the quota system was an embarrassment. It excluded Asians and Africans from emigrating to the United States. As a young visionary president, Kennedy wanted America to have a transformational immigration policy that reflected the needs of the changing population of the 1960s America. Then Lyndon Johnson, 65, at the foot of the Statue of Liberty, signed this historic bill into law. And looking into the crowd, this is what Johnson said again. Johnson has given credit for a lot of civil rights legislation, housing, but, but he also signed this important immigration bill. This bill simply says, he said, that from the day forth, those wishing to immigrate to America shall be admitted on the basis of their skills and their close relationship to those already here. This is a simple test, and it's a fair test. 
Those who can contribute most to this country, to its growth, to its strength, to its spirit, will be the first that are admitted to this land. So the immigration bill of 65, which, which I want to focus on partly, helped lay the foundation for our long-term economic growth by bringing an end to the racial biases that had previously governed U.S. immigration policy. But its creation of the H-1B program helped to ensure American competitiveness for the coming decades. This program granted access to highly skilled, highly specialized engineers, doctors, entrepreneurs, and other professionals who today play a critical role in maintaining the strength of the American economy. So today, when the Immigration and Nationality Act of 65 was signed into law in concert with the Civil Rights Movement, few people would have imagined that 50 years later, we would have made history by electing the first African-American president of the United States. We've witnessed the fall of the Berlin Wall, collapse of the Soviet Union. We've seen China undertake periods of economic reform and opening up the world economy. And 50 years ago, no one had even heard of the internet. And now it is not only in every home, but in nearly every hand. To think of the change in just 50 years, and in 50 more, how much more is there gonna be? There's no telling what America can achieve. So for all this incredible transformation and growth the United States has done in this time, our immigration laws have not grown alongside it. They have not kept pace with this. According to cutting current estimates, there are 12 to 12, 10 to 12 million undocumented immigrants living in the shadows today. Many of these individuals, they're hardworking, toil away at two, three, sometimes even four low-paying jobs. The kind of jobs that realistically most Americans do not want to do. They do this to put food on the table for their families. These are not the criminals and rapists that Donald Trump and other candidates would have you believe, but hardworking, honest laborers, ideal Americans, who want nothing more than to pay their taxes, play by the rules, and live the American dream. So I certainly don't take issue with expanding our tax base by 10 to 12 million people. I feel that it's America's prerogative to bring these individuals out behind the shadows to keep our American dream a reality. And it's important to keep in mind that immigration reform is more than just a social justice issue. It's an economic imperative. We don't hear enough about immigration reform role in creating jobs and generating business growth and sustaining our economic advantage over other countries. And let me also make another point. The legalization provisions in the bills that I've seen, they're conditions. It's not instantaneous. It's not automatic. Uh, you have to pass a background check. You have to pay back taxes. You pay a fine for coming here legally. Uh, you have to share American values, pass an exam. I mean, they're, they're conditions. And it takes approximately 11 years, I think, the Senate bill uh, takes that for eventually to have a shot at citizenship. So uh, to say that this is a blanket amnesty is, is, is false. So along with Rosario Marin, the first immigrant to serve as treasurer of the United States, if you want to find out who she is, take a look at one of your dollar bills. Go back about five years, and she signed that. She signed that. Co-chair of the, we are co-chairs 
of the American Competitiveness Alliance, she's from Los Angeles, coalition dedicated to advancing immigration policies that support our evolving and modernizing economy. And we at this alliance recognize that the globalized economy is here now. It is time that we as a country address that reality openly and honestly. Look, whether we like it or not, our world is drastically changing. Innovations every day happen. New discoveries in the information technology sector are revolutionizing not only our nation's economy, but that of the entire world. The modern IT revolution touches nearly every industry, every business, every job. You hear almost daily of the expanded Internet of Things and the growing cloud computing infrastructure. Sensors in our cars communicating with sensors in cement. They warn of hazardous conditions and adjust driving speeds accordingly. Implants that monitor nutrient or blood content levels can respond by releasing the appropriate amount of a life-saving hormone or medication. Even something as simple as sensors for product inventories on store shelves, automatic signal to warehouses and distributors when a store is running low on a product. I wonder if they can detect whether that product is good or not good. That, that may be a little difficult. So my colleague and dean of the Tuck School of Management, Matthew Slaughter, wrote a white paper report in April of this year. It was entitled this, IT Services Immigration and American Economic Strength. You can read the full white paper on our website, acalliance.org. Matt and his team examined the economic impact of immigration on America's most dynamic industries, finding that the IT revolution we, we are undertaking at present could create economic value worth 10 to 30% of US GDP, 10 to 30%. Literally trillions of dollars in the form of new jobs, new goods and services, and rising incomes. But he warned, as I'm warning now, that we cannot take advantage of this substantial and superior growth with insufficient global talent. We simply cannot remain competitive without access to global talent. America is a country of immigrants. After all, just think of this. Immigrants founded firms such as Google, Intel, eBay, firms that created tens of thousands of jobs in America. Today, almost 80%, listen to this, 80% of the full-time graduate students in electrical engineering in the US are international students. In computer science, foreign nationals make up more than 70% of the full-time graduate students. I think that bears repeating. Four out of five US graduate students in electrical engineering are foreign-born. And nearly three in foreign computer science are foreign nationals. And that's pretty incredible. Our leading businesses are crying out for workers with these advanced technical skills, technical knowledge, and skill sets. And although we're willing to educate foreigners to attain the necessary skills, we are as yet unwilling to do what we must do to keep them here. Instead, we send them back home. Oh, you can't stay. Or to our economic competitors who welcome them with open arms. Although I like Canada. I don't like what Canada's doing with this. I like the Canadians, but you know, uh, we're overdoing this. And I'm referring to the Immigration Nationality Act of 1965, the H-1B 
highly skilled worker program, which then as now allowed us to grow the U.S. economy through access, access to global talent, access to specialized skills, access to professionals needed by our leading and developing businesses in order that America maintain a competitive economic advantage. So study after study has found that H-1B visas are a vehicle for job creation and economic growth. AEI, the American Enterprise Institute, found that for every 100 H-1B workers, an additional 183 jobs are generated for U.S. natives. Unfortunately, that job growth is capped. There's an arbitrary cap of 65,000 H-1B visas per year that was originally set in 1990, outdated, well before anyone could have anticipated the effects of the modernizing economy in creating a boom in jobs requiring advanced technology skills, cloud computing, mobile and social platforms, data analytics. Now, for 2015, over 233 applications were submitted for H-1B visas, but because of the cap, more than 60% were rejected. And let's take a moment to really understand this statistic. If the American Enterprise Institute findings about job creation are correct, this would mean that America, in denying visas for workers with the knowledge and skills our nations need to grow and remain competitive, also denied the creation of more than 270,000 jobs for U.S. citizens. That's pretty appalling realization, to be sure. And to add insult to injury, the latest figures from the, B the Bureau of Labor Statistics show that the U.S. is only meeting half of annual demand for the STEM jobs, those in science, technology, engineering, and math. While many of the highly skilled workers we're educating in U.S. colleges and universities are forced to return to China, India, Canada, Europe, and our other competitors as we fail year after year to expand the H-1B program. So while American businesses try to adapt and grow amidst economic and technological revolution, our outdated immigration policies are holding us back from our full potential. And by the way, there are some good initiatives in the Congress to address this issue. The House has a better provision, actually by a Republican chairman, by a Republican chairman, that I believe makes sense, that makes significant changes to the cap. So our economic rivals are welcoming these highly skilled, often U.S. educated workers that the U.S. enabled to keep, owing to our broken visa and immigration policies. I'm not sure the gravity of this situation has really sunk in because the debate is about these other issues, deportation, a wall, you know, that's so ridiculous. When I was governor of New Mexico, I used to say, you know what happens if you build a 10-foot wall? An 11-foot ladder is going to emerge. And it, it doesn't work. It's restrictive. It, it makes no sense. Uh, so. Again, these uh, foreign, see, the, 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 the very H-1B holders we burden and string along and ultimately reject when they're not selected, they go and they're recruited. And this is not good for our country. You know, um, President John F. Kennedy decided to reform this outdated immigration system to attract the best talent. And today, as, as Cato very nicely is celebrating, the Historic Immigration and Nationality Act. You know, let's, let's look at this immigration debate as something that 
uh, is good for our country. And you know, in the previous panel, they talked about that abuse, uh, that article in the New York Times. Well, you know, that that's, there's always bad apples in everything. In almost every case, every issue, there's bad apples in, in deportation. I mean, that's a very minor example. Uh, the problem is that the overall program needs to be reformed. But yeah, I mean, the, some, some abuse the system, they should be, they should be uh, castigated, they should be fined, or whatever takes place. So I know that I've thrown a lot of issues out here. Let me just say it's, it's good to be back uh, in Washington, although I don't miss you. Um, <laughs> but I know all of you are you know, in the weeds on this immigration debate. You know more about the politics of what's happening. And I think we need some new ideas. Now, Alex over there, I don't know if he's going to talk to you about it. He's got an idea. I haven't endorsed it, but he's got an idea of dealing with the immigration and giving states more of a role in, in determining their needs. Like, for instance, H-1B visas. Obviously, California, Texas, the high-tech states, New York, uh, have a have a, an interest and opportunity, and they'll want more H-1B visas. The same with uh, the 11 million uh, in the shadows. You know, maybe maybe it won't work. I were I said to Alex, I said, well, what about Georgia? They don't want anybody. Uh, why would New Mexico would probably be positive on it, but Georgia? Well, apparently Georgia's been pretty open because of the need for agricultural workers. So. You know, we need these new ideas. And Alex, I hope in the course of, of the seminar, you present your idea. Just throw it out and see what, there are all these people are expert. Anyway, it's great to be with you. I, I can take a couple of questions. Um, in the old days, I could say to the airline, can you hold the plane? I can't anymore, no, I never did that. Alex, should I recognize people or should you? You will? Okay. Uh, so let's um, let's start with uh, that gentleman back there, uh, way in the back. Let's get ex uh, cooked off with him back there. Thanks for the forum, Mikado. Uh, bienvenidos otra vez, Governor. Good to see you back in the, in the city. Uh, do you have any take on who would be the best candidate for uh, spotlighting Latino or immigration issues uh, in the primary or the general? And uh, are you sure you're not running for anything? <laughs> I'm not running. <laughs> Well, you know, I, uh, I got into real trouble with the Clintons uh, when I endorsed Barack Obama uh, when I got out. I think that Hillary Clinton would be the best candidate. I do. Now, on the Republican side, I like what Jeb Bush says, that we need an immigration reform bill. Uh, his wife is Mexican. Mexican uh, heritage kids. Uh, Governor of Florida knows Latinos. I mean, I'm not endorsing, I'm with Clinton. But I think, you know, I think what we need to do, you know, as Latinos is, I don't want us to be considered, you know, a lock by one party, even though I do think my party has been better. Uh, historically, Republican candidates that win the presidency need to get 40% of the Hispanic vote. Romney got 29, McCain got 33, 34. 
George W. got 42, and he was elected. So um, I think the good thing about people like Rubin and, and, and the Cato Institute is you've got to push both sides. You've got to create a dynamic that works. But I think citizens like you here, through social media and through your expertise and you know, through debating this issue and, and trying to get the partisanship out. It is so partisan. And, and then you've got, you know, demagogues like Donald Trump that, you know, are skilled at media. And then you have our media that covers almost every utterance he gives. But remember, if you think Trump's views are America's views, they're not. They're 20% of the Republican electorate. And then there's 80% that is going through to their... 2,000 other candidates. You know, I like Gilmore. I told Gilmore said, well, you're not going to agree with my immigration position. I said, no, I don't, but I like you, Gilmore, because you did a good, he, as governor, I lived here when I was in the Congress, and he did something good about the Woodrow Wilson Bridge, and that, I appreciated that, because I was able <laughs> to get the work. Another question? Uh, this gentleman right here. Thank you. Uh, Governor, your, your talk focused a lot on economic migrants, high-skilled workers in particular. Um, but many of the people who are trying to get here may not be the, the highest uh, you know, skill level. Uh, many of the people you know, in the current refugee crisis, for example, are not uh, what we consider the highest, of, uh, highest skilled workers, though many of them do have skills that we would benefit from. So, what, do you, what is your take on the refugee issue, and, and should the U.S. Uh, consider them uh, as, uh, as well as high-skilled workers? Thank you. I know the, the administration has said they're admitting 100,000. I think that's the last number. I support that. I think we have to be humane, rational. Um, you know, this is, I, I hate to put it this way, but this is a European problem. I mean, this is something that I think more than anything, Europe needs to have not a common policy, but each country needs to agree to accept uh, a certain number. I think Germany needs to be commended. Hungary needs to be condemned. I mean, here's a nation of immigrants, and they, they go out and shut the door. And I remember when I was in college, I was working for their freedom and human rights. Many of you were. Um, but, but yeah, I, I, I think we need to obviously vet, uh, find a way to vet a lot of these people. They're, I think they just, they're politically uh, being persecuted. Uh, I think a larger solution is how do we deal with this Syrian problem? And, you know, the Russians aren't helping. I think we need a broad international effort. I, you know, I, I would have asked Gilmore, he said he wants a NATO in the Middle East. Maybe, maybe something along the lines of a coalition, a formal coalition uh, that involves the Saudis, the UAE, the Europeans, you know, UN peace, something new out there. Because, you know, the fight against ISIS is not going too well. And we're not handling the Syrian issue too well. I, I think as a start, admit the 100,000, find a system of vetting, keep prodding our European allies to be more humane. I mean, these are human beings. Look at these kids being killed. Look at these kids dying because of malnutrition, because there's a dictator named Assad who, who's a killer. Who, so 
the, the world's humanity should evolve. What, what do you think? What would you do? I, I, I would let as many in as possible. Right? But, and let private philanthropy you know, have, have a role in that to bring the movement. I think we have time for one final question uh, right here. It's Hi, Governor. Um, in terms of immigration reform and the H-1B problem, would you prefer seeing immigration reform as one package, like comprehensive reform pushed through Congress, or would you be okay with seeing it done sort of piecemeal so that H-1B reform, for instance, could get passed? Well, my preference is a comprehensive package, but that we have a sensible provision on H-1B visas. Here's where I think the Senate provision is worse than the House provision very restrictive uh, and, and a, a bit protectionist. I, I, think, I think, Lisa, we need a comprehensive package. And, and I know that they belittled it at the, the panel that you hold hostage. Well, you know, let's, let's do what is needed. We do need more border security, although I was a border governor and Im illegal immigration has declined along the border. Still a problem, there's still cartels, still violence. I declared a border emergency because there was violence on a little sliver of New Mexico and Chihuahua. But, but I do think that uh, we've got to be sensible. I think a wall is idiotic. Deportations are idiotic. So you need a comprehensive solution that simultaneously deals with border security, more technology at the border, but also a legalization program that is humane and sensible. And, and it's not an amnesty. You know, they, they say amnesty for, takes 11 years and you gotta fulfill all these conditions. My God. I mean, again, uh, the, the, the perceptions that the American people have about what's really on the table are wrong. And then you get these rhetorical idiocies of Trump uh, and the media loves it. And then there's a base in, in the Republican electorate right now that is embracing this, that that I I find myself out of touch because I, I didn't think this would happen. Well, let's give a round of applause for Governor Bernie.